This podcast comes to you from nerdsthegeek.com. o'clock in the evening and this is a podcast in some ways it is an ordinary podcast one like any other with voices and topics and people with opinions and in other ways like every other podcast on earth it is unique for these hosts these four men gathered tonight this episode will not be ordinary or maybe it will who knows welcome everybody this is movie mumble uh, your monthly film discussion podcast where four friends get together to watch a film and then talk about it for those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is a simple film discussion podcast, and the films we discuss can be anything at all, new or old, foreign or domestic, animated or live action, a film we've seen a million times or never seen before. Uh, the only real rule is that we announce at the end of each episode what we're watching next episode so that you can watch along with us if you'd like. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined today by Joel, unmarried some number of years old, lives a life as an urban wizard. <laughs> Lady, ever see a man look like this? <laughs> Damn it, Joel. I'm using that for Zeke. <laughs> His name is Tim, maybe. He might have been a professional composer, maybe. He might be just the man you're looking for, maybe. Hey, Tim, how you doing? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I couldn't think of something clever fast enough. <laughs> Listener, ever see a man who looks like this? Like how, you wonder? Well, you'd know if you saw him, because he's too damn handsome for this podcast. It's Zeke. Hello, Zeke. Hello. Thank you. That was so nice. (laughs) I love how the the, the trend of the intros just buttering Zeke up more and more each episode. It's it's my favorite trope. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I'm Scott. Here are these two assholes. (laughs) Oh, and Zeke. what happens when you join later i'm still special i'm still always the special guest the baby he's the baby (laughs) for how long just a baby (laughs) i'm not even mad at this point i'm just endeared to it (laughs) i'm flattered so (laughs) anyways some of you may have guessed we did listen to a uh, narrated film this month I was our film selector, and I picked the 1948 police procedural The Naked City. Uh, not the television series of the same name, based on the film, but the, the film that sort of kicked everything off. And in, in keeping with the old black-and-white police-based investigations, there is plenty of narration, but I, I think maybe I'm done. I think that's all I'm going to make you suffer through. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, it's a podcast. Isn't everything narration? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. 
Uh, do you all want me to do plot summary, or does one of you want to take it? Oh no, go right ahead. No, you do it. Yeah, I mean, Inspector Murray. It's a <laughs> that's excellent, Joel. That's a great voice. It's a it's just a very. I mean, it's not straightforward, is it? The plot, but the presentation is straightforward. Here is New York City. Here is an otherwise typical evening, and here is our woman being murdered by two shadowy men, and then one of them murders his accomplice. So the next morning, we start off with the police, with our, our Irish lieutenant and his strapping young lad semi-novice detective being assigned to the murder, the murder of Gene Dexter. And uh, that's, that's kind of it. That's the film. We basically just follow them around for the whole rest of the film, and we get shots of the city, some kind of you know, moments of here's what people are doing, here's what's happening, here's the time of day, sometimes with sort of voiceover imaginings of what the people you're seeing might be saying, right? Oh, just look at that dress. Could you imagine that on me? No, I couldn't imagine, right? You know, couldn't just, imagine. Couldn't imagine. <laughs> just to sort of, it really fleshes the city out as a living being and a character in a really direct way by just, like, between every couple of film scenes just going hey here's the city again you're going to sit and watch it for 10 seconds you know hey here's somewhere else in the city here's what's going on now and that's very effective and meanwhile we follow the detectives around from place to place and person to person as they work their case unravel surprises accidentally discover a burglary ring a, a swindling con man party throwing burglary ring and yes eventually <laughs> solve the murder and uh <laughs> sorry that was Dude, my dog that was amazing adr guess what's the new bleep noise yeah, oh, there you go. Ba bailey you're in the podcast um you're a star kid yes star. Yeah, star. get her on get her on contract okay. come here b come here i know oh. hello okay um anyway yes eventually they do solve the murder have a chase and a shootout. Um, and there's a really iconic shot of our murderer, uh, you know, climbing up the ladder on the bridge tower that he's stranded himself on, surrounded by police, wounded in one arm, hanging off the ladder as he faces his inevitable fate. And I want to be clear, I use the term police procedural here because even though it's black and white and it's a murder mystery, it's very definitively not a noir. <laughs> um, it sort of predates noir a little bit kind of and yet also it totally doesn't because 1948 so it's just again it's it's sort of the absolute foundational bones of so many of the things we see in today's and have seen in detective stories throughout the rest of the 20th century so there you are all right i've talked plenty let's do first impressions so I thought it was cool. I, I, I enjoyed it. I loved and it, it actually one of the one of the things that hit me is it reminded me of how when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a detective. And, you know, the idea of like, you know, kind of taking the evidence, you know, and I've, you know, read those little stories where it's like, you know, it'll have like a page long description of like the scenario you're in, you got to solve the murder and, you know, figure it out based on the clues and stuff like that. So I always really liked that stuff. So it was really cool to see you know that yeah the process of of kind of like oh we get to chase this lead down and now oh we found this oh we learned this little tidbit from this person so oh we're going to take that and add it to the thing and um but another thing i really liked about this that um that i don't i mean i've probably seen it seen it in other things but um 
since I tend to put myself in the perspective of the main character, um, this was kind of neat to see like how other people would kind of go off and like, there'd be those other, other detectives who are like, Oh, go follow him and see what you find out. And then like, we kind of forget about that guy as we're dealing with something else. And then he comes back and relays all this other information that gets kind of factored into everything. And it's like, Oh, oh yeah, okay, this is what we learned from that. Okay. Let's add it to the pile of evidence and, and, you know, stuff we're figuring out and what, where's that going to take us next? Um, and I, I, I've always found it funny too, like on shows where, and, and I mean, yeah, it makes sense that, that you don't want detectives. It's not like they should be working 24 hours till they get the, the job solved. But it's just funny to be like, okay, end of the day, we're all going home. You know, and have that segment of it where it's like, it's nighttime. We go home for dinner, you know, that like detective work takes place between business hours kind of thing. And then like, yeah. except for when he gets called in and has to go back. So we had like this important thing happen. And, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really cool. It was really like, you know, it, um, I think part of what turned me away is I think I had asked my dad about it and he told me, oh, well, you're still going to do like police academy and become like a uniformed officer and stuff like that and work your way up to detective. And I was like, never mind. <laughs> I'm not doing all that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to have to do a bunch of pushups in order to become a detective, you know, like, never mind. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was like that, that, that process like still really fascinates me and intrigues me and how, you know, how a lot of times I feel like it's not just, about putting a bunch of evidence together that you like feed into a computer and it spits out an answer. Like, you know, you've got to have the instincts, you got to kind of, they, you know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes they end up being in the right place at the right time. And that's what kind of moves it along a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, just how, how all the, you know, all the things are connected and, you know, I feel like that's somehow why they end up solving it, right? Because, well, you know, when one guy, like the guy who kept lying about stuff, you know, like, well, eventually we follow kind of other leads through that guy that lead us around back to him. And it's like, oh, well, you actually did this, this and that. And, you know, um, you know, so it's it's kind of like, you know, even though he thinks he kind of pushed them off the scent for a while, it's like, well you know, this isn't just you, you've also got a fiance who we also talked to. And now that connection, you know, like how that kind of unravels his story and things like that. Um, and, and also from a storytelling perspective too, the way, you know, when you're presented this kind of murder mystery thing and it's like, Oh, two guys murdered this woman. And then it's like, well, well how are we going to figure this out? And then like, how, you know, you have to build this whole backstory of all these characters so that there is a way to build, to, to figure it out. Right. I mean, if you wanted to, you know, tell this story of, okay, there's a murder. Sure. But how do we, how do we get there? Like you, you know, you can't just sort of, you, you almost got to work as the, as the writer, you've got to work backwards from the murder to, to really have an idea of, okay, everything that led up to this murder and make sure we have a way that could realistically be figured out by people when a bunch of people are trying to keep all this stuff secret, you know? Um, so it was really cool. Yeah. Like it made me kind of realize how much I appreciate the, the sort of the murder mystery genre. And I, yeah, I feel like we've had a few films like that lately, right? Like knives out and glass onion. And uh, was it murder on the Orient express, the, the remake they did recently, stuff like that, you know, where it's like, you've got this, this limited amount of suspects that we're all grilling within a room, but then to take that and spread it out all across New York, which maybe, you know, maybe, technically writing it is the same it's just that all your suspects instead of being in the same room you just put them in different locations but um I call it but, 18 blocks south four blocks but, east yep. <laughs> yeah. um literal legwork that guy was doing yeah. halloran yeah. was like he got his steps in boy jesus 
but oh yeah and here's another place i guess to say this in terms of first impressions the uh yeah the the young cop he he through the whole thing he came he reminded me of uh um, luke wilson i don't know if anyone else kind of got that vibe but just mm. not all the time but every now and then like expressions and the way his mouth would move like when he talked i was like oh i wonder if it's luke wilson's like grandfather or some shit, you know? i could kind of see it actually yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. But, but yeah, no, overall, yeah, like impressions were good. I, I enjoyed it. I, it was a little, sometimes it was hard to hear. And I don't know, like, cause I had a fan on and, but it was only like yeah. the, the short Irish cop, like for some reason, I don't know if it was like the register of his voice or just like his accent just made him very hard to understand. Yeah. I even HBO's had... mix wasn't great. I feel like my DVD yeah. sounds a lot better. Oh, okay. Um, and then I watched the HBO this time though. And then the subtitles were mostly correct that <laughs> I, I had but thankfully when they were wrong it was really obvious right it was one of those you know automatic transcriptions so like there's no way that's the word he said yeah (laughs) so i think it was was just like inaudible yeah that's what (laughs) i was gonna say watching it with the subtitles on and got a few inaudible moments and just didn't try (laughs) i think that's anything inaudible (laughs) (laughs) no i think you just asked if you know you had the evidence right yeah (laughs) Yeah, I, I also really love the teamwork aspect of this that you mentioned, Tim, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. And that the, the, the lieutenant, the experienced Irish cop, isn't always right about everything. He doesn't have this domineering, experienced, do-what-I-say thing. There's that whole mm-hmm. conversation between him and the one guy over the cigarette case. And, you know, the other guy's like, well, let me go check, check the lists of stolen items. And the lieutenant's like, this is going to be nothing. But, you know, fine, go ahead. But then it's it's something. It's a big deal. It's a break. He carries in the case. around that list for the rest of the yeah. movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, like right. how yeah, rapidly like, that starts to like lead. Right. That, that's what kind of what connects everything. Yeah, like what about yeah. this? Check the list. This check the list. Yeah. yeah. And like the lieutenant doesn't just say like, "Nah, you idiot!" Like think about it. Here's what my thirty-seven years says. He's just like, "I don't see how this fits." But you know what? Sure. What the hell? <laughs> Go check your list. It's fine. It's, yeah. yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's a great sort of collaboration. Yeah, we don't have to. We can only fo- we can follow our two lead detectives, and stuff can happen in the background as the rest of the force works. Yeah, I like that too. What about you, Zeke? What's your first impression? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think I was taken a little bit aback in the beginning when the narration started, uh, just because it did feel very documentary-ish with that first few lines. You know, naming the actors and. I wasn't quite sure what I was in store for in terms of how it was going to play out and how they were framing it. Um, and then when we got into it, I don't know that I felt like the on-location shooting... Initially, I don't think I felt like the on-location shooting did that much to enhance the story itself. I think a lot of the scenes were still very intimate, right? It's a couple of detectives in a room looking at evidence, talking to each other, interviewing a suspect, interviewing some leads... And it doesn't really matter how much of the city you're shooting, you know, shooting your movie on if if you're going to have scenes like that, like that, you know, you're only getting the inside of a room. So it doesn't matter. But I do think there was re- some redemption with that in the chase scene, um, in some of those other scenes later on. I think you mentioned earlier on one of the scenes in the movie where, you know, the two girls are talking at the window. And I, I think I did have to double take on that um, and say, oh, wait, the way it felt it felt so natural it felt like they were actresses and those were their lines and they were talking but then you think oh you know they're just people and they just got this shot of the city before they go into you know into the shop that they were looking in and focusing on one of the leads there 
like they um, took these shots of the city and then later on just wrote their own dialogue that could have been plausibly spoken by any one of the people in the shot at the moment. Right. You know, yeah. the dialogue doesn't match the mouths in the in the crowd, any of the ones I can see, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Because it's sort of narrating the vibe. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there were some other times too where it's a little kid eating a snack by a fire hydrant. And I'm like, that doesn't care if it's filmed on location. You should get this little creep here eating. Like, that doesn't do anything for me. So I was a little back Wipe and your forth. Face. <laughs> yeah, little nerd. I was a little back and forth on how I felt about, you know, because they put so much into that premise from the beginning, right? It's yeah. this big, beautiful city and everything's shot here and it's the people and it's living and breathing. And I do feel like a little bit of that carried some weight, but I also do feel like, well, you know, a lot of that big scope stuff didn't matter in such a small scope movie. Um, but again, I think that redeemed itself with the big chase at the end and some lines at the end where he's talking about, um, I think Gar Garza says, good luck finding me in this, you know, great big city or whatever. Yeah. Um, or yeah. And so step out my door and be gone. Because, yeah. You know, poof. Yeah. And so I felt like that helped with it a little bit too. Um, that being said though, I do think, rather than how it was shot on location i think the narration itself did more to enhance the story for me i think it was cool to have those check-ins every now and then um where the narrator's kind of walking you through the case or walking through you know here we are just interviewing people and have you seen this guy you know those little details seem to uh, make it resonate more for me but i did really love how organically the case seemed to came seemed to come together even with all of the twists and turns it just felt like an organic you know one lead to another clue to another lead to this thing to this twist to, it just felt very natural the whole way through so i like that a lot as a as a procedural yeah very nice i think for me the the city shots kind of help it feel like i'm walking around with Holloran, right and these are just the things we're seeing as we go from place to place because nothing's as immediate as you think it is in New York City. You know, you're at, I was just there recently, um, earlier in July. And, you know, just getting from, we went from the MoMA to a restaurant for dinner. And it was like three blocks. But just, just that three blocks was a good, you know, 15 minutes of walking and people and cars. And then you turn off a street and now there's no people except that one guy down on the corner. And then you turn down the next street and now, oh crap, I'm in Times Square. How did that happen? You know, and it, <laughs> so getting those like moving snapshots that works for me as, as a way to sort of carry me from A to B. But I've also been to New York a lot. So maybe it just clicks in that regard. And yeah, some of the, some of the shots are, are a little weird to be sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, now I, I think when they queued it up, I was expecting more of the actors playing off of the crowd. I don't, I, that's on me for expecting stuff, but I thought it was going to be like, we're going to shoot this big brawl and see how people react, or we're going to get the audience <laughs> in on solving this crime with us or something like that. I'm not fully to that extent, but something where they're playing off of it a little bit more. And I, I do think you get- You really get it is in- early on when they're heading mm. to the crime scene and there's that rush of people at the door of the apartment building yeah uh -huh. i mean for all we know something else was going on and they were walking by and said hey film that <laughs> right? right but on the other hand maybe they sell people like oh hey you know rush the doors maybe they made something up and said oh 
this celebrity is going to be here. Everybody come get in. Like I, that's, that's the moment that feels the most like it crosses the world's bridges, the yeah. world's I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, on the, uh, the chase at the end, cause you do get a lot of people kind of double taking and following the chase and puzzled, you know, about what's going on. You also do get some very naturally funny scenes where, you know, when they're all trying to cram into the train car, um some dude stiffs arms stiff arms another dude and one guy like is laughing at it i don't know it was a very very yeah. funny scene to yeah. see people shove themselves onto that train mm -hmm. what about you joel second impression yeah you and i, I watched mean, this together long ago yeah i don't remember like we had a lot of whiskey that night i didn't remember much <laughs> of it i guess uh this time i was really really aware of the production i like because like from the jump, when we have that kind of producer intro thing, that's something I recognize from like Jerry Lewis films. I think by that time in early 60s, he was lampooning it. Like the executives used to go out and they were the ones who were introducing the film and that was the trailer or that was, here's the premise for our film. It's an honest thing. This is what we're doing at MGM Studios. You can trust me because I'm I'm the dude who signs the checks and this is what we're doing. for. So that that tone is something that, right off the bat i'm aware of and it has like the the narration i was a little distracted by it this time it felt very twilight zone-esque i kept wondering when <clears throat> it was going to kind of fade out and that's that's the thing is like we've been taught the procedural format through popular culture for since this film i think this might be like in terms it might not be the proto-noir but it might be the yeah. proto this procedural thing and i was it was interesting this time to watch it and kind of see all the things my brain was like fast forwarding or like jumping over like in a modern movie we would have already done this like or like modern technology they would have called over there or like the i don't know i was it, it reminded me i was watching columbo recently like the first couple yeah. episodes of columbo <laughs> and just kind of the the in those you see the murderer like you you get to see the murder and you kind of see how they hide their tracks and then columbo's clever and kind of figures it out so the perspective changes that way but it, it's it's similarly paced in a very deliberate kind of breadcrumby way but not in i don't know i kept thinking of it in terms of i'm doing more thinking about it now than like in the watch but like I watch a lot of these things where we've got a Sherlock Holmes ex character where he is the resident expert and he can tell all these things that the cops don't know. And it's really interesting to go to this form at kind of its birth to see how slow that process is, how, how you literally have to travel the 18 blocks to the next jewelry store and they don't have a phone number and you're talking to a jeweler to ask the address of another jeweler. So just the idea of like the literal pacing of this investigation, we've we've it's a shorthand now. We recognize kind of the format of the procedural investigation because they've done it in forty-two minutes for every episode of Law and Order, you know, like or yeah, like right. the form has become so ubiquitous that it was really interesting to watch something and kind of feel myself resisting it because it is really putting you through the paces of the investigation i mean i was struck this time about they were literally vacuuming the apartment for the fibers for the hair and they got two hairs out of it and he had to yeah. pluck the the one off of the the mother-in-law or whoever it was and yeah. she thought it was a come on like it was just an interesting like the 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 granularity of literally they were picking through hairs and and like there's no forensics there's like 
it's it's the Mulaney bit, right? Like you could just like the Suggins gang did it. Like that's the only way you would know who took credit. So it was just it was interesting to see that, and I was really struck by how matter of fact we got to murder. Right? We had this introduction. It was it was really interesting. Kind of it it had that delivery and cadence of kind of the fast talking high trousers, and it went from boom ba boom, and it was very like here's the city, here's the thing, kind of, and then here's murder pretty brutal and in it was really matter of fact and then you kind of get back into the narration and then there's a second murder and it was really interesting how those shots were framed and how it just the pacing of establishing i don't know like it was it was establishing the fourth wall as it talked to you about it right like welcome audience i'm the producer here are our actors here's the city and then murder in the same kind of matter of fact tone, which I thought was really interesting and really, I don't know, like, I, I don't know that it was very blunt in that way, even though, it, which I don't know, it, it, it was interesting to watch. And it's hard not to interpret that kind of narration style as kind of twee because it's aged, like it's, it's not, it's not a modern way of telling things, but it, it's, I don't know, like it, this time I was really, aware of the production and talking about the the on location aspect of it it was i was very aware of like oh they must have been doing voiceover this whole time but because how, how did you sound how do you capture sound in the middle of new york in 1948 with cameras and all that like the way they talked about it not being in a studio is like this is the event you're coming to see this because you've never seen new york like this you've never seen new york as it is in reality on film and that must i don't know if that's the history of it or if there was any on location seemed like a big enough novelty that like he was either. they were Sorry. selling it on no but yeah. and that and that's kind of where i was thinking is like the kind of the dissonance and kind of the where the narration would have lined up or didn't i was like this must have just been such a bitch to capture and i was kind of watching it through this time and i wasn't really knocked out by much of the cinematography until we get to that last sequence yeah, and it's like interesting chase. to think where where they spent their effort like there's a lot of what we would call b-roll right like that the establishing <laughs> exactly. shots and that background stuff that's a lot of kind of the the as time passes we get that i I've, reminded me a bit of koanik scotsy too because it, it had it was like that kind of collage film style we had a narrator kind of pushing the the the, the plot on us through it but it, it was just it was kind of collage and then we got a break in the case and oh it would slow down and then we it broke up the film that way so it was really interesting when we got like, like really deliberate camera moves i mean they put the camera on the scaffolding on the top of the building and they rode yeah. up to question the guy like on the beams i was like how right. do you get 1948 cameras up there and so i guess i i wasn't really able to 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 disconnect from it i wasn't able to like suspend my disbelief but i was fascinated with how they captured this story at this time and like the like is just a really interesting i don't know like it if this was one of the first things shot on like location in new york like what they chose to feature and like not how many more shows about crime or movies in new york like new york is the place where crime happens in the movies for the most part you know, that in Gotham City, you know, and every so often we get Chicago. 
but like it's very much New York centric. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's it sticks so closely to that like semi documentary documentary type thing until the end. Yeah. Except for occasionally with those few shots like the one on the elevator that you mentioned. Yeah. I so for me it's, you know, eighteenth impression or fiftieth impression, right? And I obviously I like it. I brought it, but I like it sort of as two separate things. I like it just as a fun movie. I just like watching a, a murder mystery that just gets solved in a matter of fact way by detectives doing legwork. And it doesn't concern itself overly with strange conspiracies and, and serial killers or or whatever, or even almost with heavy stylistic filming. It's just sort of there for you to watch. And it's really nice. It's kind of refreshing. It's weird to describe a murder investigation as fun, you know, or lighthearted, but it kind of is. Um, and then separately, I really enjoy it as a, do I say historical relic or a, a piece of, you know, a, a piece of film history, right? That I guess this came out during the height of noir, so I can't really call it proto, right? But again, it's it's kind of very much not. <laughs> um, it's got a lot of noir cinematography going on, which itself comes from uh, Italian neo realism. Realism or neoclassicism? Neorealism, I think. Whatever. The point being that a lot of those noirish photography methods were inspired by their own thing. So, but then, you know, it's not a dark, an overly dark film. It doesn't use shadow and light to play off of each other the way a lot of noirs do because it was just filmed in New York City during the day. Here you go, right? It's, there it is. Um, you know, that sort of thing. And I I love it as as this really influential sort of bits of noir and bits of police procedural and bits of locate the location as a character all coming together into this just really tidy package right i don't know it just makes me happy as far as how i discovered it uh, my dad recommended it to me i was talking to him about movies as i do very often and i don't remember if i was talking about noir or detectives or what and he the naked city came up he mentioned it and said it's a classic and i said oh okay and we all have many movies we want to watch, I'm sure. All three of you and all of the listeners are thinking of them right now. And there are some you're going to see. You're going to go to the theater or you're going to find them on streaming. That's like two or three films, right? They're at the top of your mind. And then there are a bunch of films you don't want to see. But right in the middle is this the pile, they call it. And it's just this mass of films that you do want to see. But you aren't, you aren't going to yet, maybe. So, something will happen. Maybe one day you're just browsing and it comes across the screaming screen. And you go... Oh, yeah, and it comes on, right? Or maybe you could talk to someone about it. It has to sort of be nudged up to the top of the pile or you're not going to notice it. And it's not that you hate them or they're bad movies or whatever. It's just there are so many movies <laughs> in so little time, right? So then it gets kind of came together that way because I very shortly found myself at home with some spare time feeling like I was in the mood for a movie and not it's for a comedy or for a TV show or for YouTube or for whatever, but for a movie and and within that genre and i remembered it because the conversation was recent and i searched it up and there it was when i watched it so that, that's it it's a very mundane story of discovery but but then like i said what really grabbed me about it was that it wasn't really a noir but also wasn't you know had laid so clearly laid the groundwork for so many of the things that had come after so and then also i enjoyed the plot so i kept it around yeah <laughs> it's also kind of easy to follow like, despite the large cast and the twisting plot, 
you don't you don't get lost. Oh, who's he again? Oh, wait, why are they talking to this guy? It's just you can either suss out, oh, I guess this guy's helping them, sure, or you remember him. I don't know how much of that was effort to really make everyone visually distinct and how much of that was just good writing, but it works really well. Because again, it doesn't have this crazy twisty, ah, we're going to third act twist reveal you, you know, these trappings where like a certain amount of confusion is on purpose. The confusion just comes from standing and asking what happened. And that's it, right? It's sort of, obviously the whole film was written, right? The whole plot was written, but it feels like it emerges very naturally. I think almost all of you said that at one point. And it, again, it's it just is fun. A- it's not yeah. in the sausage grindery way that you yes. feel. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the procedurals, the formulaic nature of them, where you kind of you follow the red herring within the first fifteen minutes, and then commercial break. Oh, it's coming from a different direction. I feel like this when when new pieces of information that made the thing larger, like when there was a third person implicated in the murder, and then it went back to the dock. Like I, I was. It wasn't like earth shattering. It didn't seem like a like crazy. It just and it was interesting, like because we I was aware of like how limited, like they're really chasing gut feelings and little leads and these little breadcrumbs. And he's like, "Hey, can I waste time on this? That like to chase down that, you know?" And like it was really interesting and cool that like when we were getting like the larger, it wasn't like Chinatown where they just gut punch you at the end with the like my mother, my sister yeah. thing. Spoilers. That's about as explicit as it'll be about the ending of Chinatown. But like that kind of was like, oh, like right out of nowhere. Whereas this one, the little- First thing about Chinatown is the man in over his head, right? He is warned or hurt at every turn about how this is bigger than him. There are people working behind the scenes. But yeah, the Naked City, no, they just, they find a guy and he's concerned with himself and his own secrets. And that's that, right? Yeah. And that dude lied like a motherfucker, like Niles. Like that, he kept going. Like he kept. Oh, it was just the most sniveling. Like I don't know if you could write that guy anymore. He's like, I hate that guy. He moved on to a lucrative career selling marching band instruments. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um. I. I, Yeah. I just. It. It. The film isn't yet caught up in the trappings of. I don't want to say genre, but that moment where they're talking to Niles, the compulsive liar. And then Ruth shows up and she walks in the door and they see each other and both go, oh, you know, if that was from a different era, that would have been a moment that stopped and had a musical cue. Dun, 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 right? <laughs> and then if it was from the 90s, it would have still had the musical cue, but it would have been satire, right? Like, yeah. this is before it would all. Be Seinfeld music, right? right. <laughs> so, so there's none of that. They just look at each other and their faces tell you everything, but the scene doesn't stop. Everybody keeps walking to each other and having the conversation. Like you would in real life, you know. There's no moment of pause. So the audience can take in the trauma of this moment. It just the moment happens and life continues. Yeah, unpretentious, I think, is maybe a good word. And to your first really- point about a you know plot piece or aspect of it that you enjoyed, I think for me too, very similarly, it's something. Uh, I don't know. It felt very. 12 Angry Men, uh, you know, where it's contained but big, but you're just kind of there and you're following the story along. And I love 12 Angry Men. I think I enjoy this one in the same way. Um, You know, I watched it through the first time and then it ended up throwing it back on the next day just to have on the background and kind of watch again 
from a distance and pick up on certain parts, but found myself sucked in again with the story and twists and turns and, oh, they figured this out here and this unfolded that way there. Um, and I've, I've mentioned it every time we talk about one of those movies that's very character driven and story driven and you're just, it's not that expansive, but you're just following the story along. Um, I, I'm a sucker for those. And I, I think that's what I enjoyed most about this one. Thank you. Yeah. How does this, how does this make any of you think about any other mysteries you've seen old or new just, you know, does anything, anything connect in your minds, any bits or pieces? I mean, for me, kind of like you were saying, like the, the unpretentious and that there isn't like everything being turned into a big dramatic thing. Like it's very down to earth, you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no third act twist that makes it all like ridiculous and weird. You know, it's just kind of like solving a murder. Here's the, you know, people, people doing things and some people doing bad things some people doing really bad things. And, you know, uh, um, yeah, it definitely like a lot of the other mysteries I've, I've seen are definitely more theatrical, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's obviously they've come after this where we've had to up the ante, right? Like, I feel like if you made a film like this today, people would be like, well, what, that's it. You know, it's, it's just a regular thing, you know? And so, yeah, it was, it was, you know, yeah, in some ways just kind of refreshing for it to just be like a down to earth thing. Like there's no, there's no weird, weird things involved or like, um, you know, as much as I like Glass Onion, you know, with the whole like the puzzles yeah. and all that other stuff, no, you know, great. it was like, this was just not that this was just regular, you know, <laughs> no eccentric billionaires, just regular ass people, you know, doing things and that type of thing. As much as I argue that this isn't a noir, it it's a great foundational foundational film for its genre which i guess you can call noir or crime and you just sort of made this click in my head tim like like horror can have this neat gimmick or weird power or setting but mm. if you don't just have a good tight a to b script of people in danger and fearful right it's just not going to be good and it enhancers or seasonings right all this other stuff right same for mm. your for the police dramas right the puzzles and the twists, I love them, but they are enhancements. At the core, you still need to have a plot that unfolds in a way that's engaging, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you go back this far, where they don't have all of those little extra genre bits, they, they either have a good plot or they don't, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Well, it's something also like with it, I, I keep thinking of it as matter of fact, but like by the time Halloran shows up and finds Willie, like he's on his own. He called in, but that was hours ago. And like, like the, the captain or like the inspector didn't get it. Like he, he was on his own thing and didn't. So he's yeah. in there alone with this dude who's like the most built. It's funny to see strong men from 1948 in terms like in yeah. difference to oh, just smooth, but smooth. But, yeah. But, right. Like that dude was a, a threat. And you kind of like, you felt the isolation and also like the, it, it, because it was so matter of fact, when we finally got to see the guy that was re the one dude wreathed in shadow, maybe the whole movie was that dude. Like when we see him in person and we kind of get them in a room together, the tent, like it didn't need anything enhancing it. Like the tension built to that moment and it was really satisfying. Also, like when he, he could have killed him, he would have been total like that, that would have been a thing. And then yeah. like he could have got away too. Like they had the, he went over the 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 tombstones and then over the other thing and then went down and i was like where is he gonna go 
and like or how are they gonna canvas the whole thing and then like the cop car swoops up in each of those frames and it was just really interesting to see like with because it had gone so deliberately and like nothing is enhanced nothing's larger than life about it it's just that's the other thing it's like very typical there's no Hannibal Lecter right it's just a dude who used to wrestle you know like and they had to go and like find out where like who he was from where he was wrestling like that's an interesting like way to have to track down the big bad you know and he could have been gone like he said he's like I'll just disappear it's a big city big beautiful yeah. city there's lot, like trying shows up just in time to spook him but even then he could have slipped away but he lost his cool yeah it's great it's a great confluence of events i was reminded of king kong thinking about it this like the <laughs> end is the end of king kong like yeah. in, in i and that's 1922 so that's what big gorilla climbs off and gets shot yeah right <laughs> Like I, I, I don't mean that in, in like a derogatory. So I think no, the I end know. of like, I, King Kong is one of the most beautiful climaxes of a film ever. I think I just I, I was struck by like the scale of it, right? And I really loved the cameras and the the angles and how they tracked the progress of that chase up. That was really, I think that was another thing. You were ground level, or you were traveling up the levels as the guys were. So when it yeah. was getting to that climb and you kind of pull back and you kind of see this it really made the height of the city a thing at the end and i think that that's a really interesting kind of place to put your climax is is literally the height of the city yeah i'm trying to think of how it stacks up with other crime mystery suspense movies with the suspects because I do think this was kind of creative in how it laid out the suspects from the beginning. And you think some are in the clear and then you learn more about them. And then later on, I know that's, you know, not unique to that. I know there's plenty of, you know, yeah. crime movies where someone think is off the hook, but I think, you know, who it was this time was kind of surprising, right? Like the doctor seemed like a very inconsequential character and he had a lot more of a role to play. Um, you know, Niles, same thing, right? Everyone was more interconnected than you initially thought. And I yeah. haven't seen many uh, other crime movies from from this era, so I don't know. But it did feel like it was taking a lot of leaps in the number of twists with the sus suspects it laid out from the beginning because everybody had some role in it, right? It wasn't just here are characters that you're seeing for the first time and they get cleared and you never see them again. They were all pretty integral to the plot. It's a constant question of, yeah. well, this guy's wrapped up in something, but does it relate to the murder? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It might not be the murder, but it's a couple steps away. It's this other crime that they're doing, or it's a crime that influenced the murder. Right. Like, there's still a lot of, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a very neatly woven web, which was pretty cool. I like at the end, the very very end, how they bring it back to Gene Dexter too. You know, like this whole case twisty turny solve it chase the guy get everybody everyone's in jail you know and then there's this weird sudden framing of melancholy like well case is over newspapers in the trash another case tomorrow but they in the right in the middle she won't be forgotten not entirely not altogether and they cut between all of the people we've been seeing throughout the movie who all were connected to the case oh it's a great little moment that was very Twilight Zoney too. Miles. Like I, yeah, like that that tail end. I mean, that's just sixty eight. I think Twilight Zone was or like in sixties. So like that that's definitely 
being borrowed from this so that tone is just very and it, that that kind of cap on the end of it is like there there is a resolution but not really but also like yeah also it's sort of i think it's really interesting that's the only big lights shot we get right we only have a couple of night scenes it's a 1 a.m right the murder that's just the apartment and the the bit where they're chasing garza out of niles apartment they get there just in time as Garza is attacking Niles to take the thing, and he he's at the fire escape, right? But again, it's just on a street corner, so he runs away. But at the very very end, with the newspapers in the trash, we pan up to is that Times Square, <laughs> fully lit up, all nice. the lights going. That's the brightest scene in the film, almost <laughs> the brightest lights in the whole film, you know. <laughs> and it's it's kind of shocking. It's this. But we're standing, the camera is standing off in a corner somewhere where the trash man is picking up the litter. And it's it really almost feels like we have stepped off the stage, you know, to wrap up this story and now look ahead to the lights to see what's coming next. But it's really striking and it's really aggressive. And a lot of noirs of the time and a lot of newer films love to, well, again, they like to do that light and dark interplay that this film doesn't do, right? But they also just love to do nighttime scenes and famous landmarks and and you know architecture as a as a mobile space and it you know this feels almost incidental at the end oh hey look they're showing us the famous thing but almost it also feels really meaningful like we only see this now and only from a distance and only after it's over i don't really have a conclusion i just i like it <laughs> I, like that no, I like that idea Sherry too on top. the bits with uh Howard at home are interesting <laughs> <laughs> because i mean they're really old-fashioned but they're also like he's also weirdly modern you know he doesn't want to hit his kid and his wife was like oh well i was against it too until now but it's like it's played for laughs but on the other hand you know he's really lanky and kind of like super youthful looking and she just you know she's she's like barely there but not in the way that they're sort of putting her out of the way I don't know. It's just, it was really modern. The line I wrote was, is this somehow more modern than Mad Men? You know, 20 years later, giving us the mm -hmm. 60s. Like, is this a more modern, you know, version of man of manliness than we were seeing in, in popular culture set 20 years later? Like, it's just weirdly matter of fact, I guess. Which, I mean, the whole film is matter of fact, but... It's it's something that in a different film, like it would be used to juxtapose the innocence of the newly married, fresh young yes. like detective. And like I'm now I'm thinking of Seven. I'm thinking of oh, like yeah. um like what was the I don't like just anytime they have that kind of and that's the thing. Like there's a young dude doing that's the the dynamic of the detectives is also something that this is establishing too, right? Like there's a someone who's more experienced who's kind of doing the thinking and kind of the and then somebody running off and chasing leads and stuff. But that, it's not played for, I was thinking of Bullet too. Bullet is so dead behind yeah. the eyes and yeah. like jaded about like, and I, I don't, it's interesting to have that juxtaposition, but not any of that kind of implied, like look how terrifying and dark the world is, but he keeps going home yeah. at night and it's just kind of like, it's a job, you know, it's yeah. not, none of Business the tendrils hours, like of it. Said. Yeah. Right. And it, that's an interesting thing that has been, again, kind of enhanced as it goes on. I mean, that's, 
as we've learned more about it and like the the function of film in portraying these kinds of stories has changed like the the it's interesting it's very leave it to beaver or like dick van dyke he goes home and he's got the kid and stuff and like but it's not played for a juxtaposition thing it's just here's what halloran does when he's not i don't know it it, it to what end is kind of the question that the modern sensibility has yeah but i i did the serve but and it like when yeah. when when you see him confront the wrestler i think that kind of informs it a bit this guy doesn't want to hit his kid like you know that's kind of the yeah. he's gone and like he's been literally pushing pencil like he's been taking notes and stuff hasn't yeah. done anything physical or active so he i don't know like i don't know not that you have to hit your kids to be a, no, right. a physical like presence as an investigator. But... From Niles' apartment, he pulls the gun. Mm -hmm. It's the police. Stop or I'll shoot. And they trade bullets a little bit, and then he runs after him. You know, but it's it's part of the job. So it's what it called for. So it's what he does, right? But yeah, in that moment, he doesn't. He just makes up a story. Oh yeah, this guy's up in Bellevue. He's asking, sent me down to talk to you, right? And then when he wakes up later, he doesn't do anything crazy do some sort of action hero moment of bravery he just puts his head back down again he's like oh shit he's got my gun and he's awake i'm putting the head down which is just smart right just yeah yeah, yeah. it's just very practical <laughs> i also wrote down when he gets home and she's like oh i've got dinner ready jellied tongue <laughs> 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 yeah that made me stop like, wait what <laughs> Oh, they were jelly and all kinds of stuff. Be alive. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we're talking about weird things that stood out. I have a list of other people that should be put in jail. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Thank you. So uh, there's the first of all, the man, they're on the train and everyone's reading the newspaper about the oh crime. And yes. the lady says, Oh, did you see the case? And he's like, Yeah, what a figure and whistles. Put him and put that pervert in jail right away. <laughs> he looks at the for... woman talking to him and goes, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, put him in jail. I don't care about these other suspects. Like, lock him up immediately. Look, he's on being... a subway, like, in that close to people and talking like that. Smack yeah. him and take him in. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody do something. See something, say something. <laughs> you saw that man be a creep about a dead woman. We'll lock him up immediately. And then also the man in front of the uh, the apartments, um, everyone's out there clamoring about the case. Yeah. And the one guy says, oh, yeah, the bathtub girl. And he's like, yeah, shouldn't she have been taking showers? Or why didn't hey. she take showers? <laughs> no, no time for jokes. Put him in jail. I don't, I'm not here for this. He needs yeah. to be locked up for life alongside Gar everybody. Those two perverts need to go to jail is what I have on my list. And then the old lady who comes in with the I can help you. My dad's a sheriff. It's somewhere unrelated to New York City. I'm like, that's it. That's the help. Right? Like, like my grandfather. I love that moment. Whatever. I love yeah. the, idea of the idea of the crazy tip line. Crazy yeah. quotations of outdated yeah, exactly. language. But like that idea of like the press is an important part of investigations. When people mm. know that, yeah. they can also disrupt the investigation by Take coming the in. Take and... the dog. Bury it this many you know <laughs> yards away it doesn't say in what direction right and on the third day after the full moon it's like great hi yeah. very helpful thank you just stare at her until she leaves <laughs> that, that dead stare and then the guy who confessed right yeah oh, the false confession yeah, yeah. that was great mm -hmm. 
Where'd Where you hide you the knife? With the knife. Yep. <laughs> I loved that because Jimmy sort of, when he finally confronts Garza, he kind of falls into that trap that he lays for himself. The same trap, right? Because uh, with the crazy guy, the lieutenant, you know, he says, ah, where'd you hide the knife? And he says, oh, I hid it here. It's like, okay, great, fine. Call Bellevue. He's lying. No <laughs> knife. Paul, get him out of here. So Jimmy shows up and is just like, oh, yeah, he was pulled out of the river by a tug and, you know, he asked me to come see you. And then after he's on the head, Garza says, nobody knows where I live, him included. He seems to maybe think his accomplice is alive. That part he might have bought. But there's, you know, Jimmy slipped up with too much detail, right? He sort of dug himself into the same trap that the lieutenant used to capture the crazy confession. I really liked that little, you know, that uh, that, that juxtaposition, I guess, that contrast. The continuity. Of, yeah. Yeah. Continuity of method, but also the the difference of experience in implying it or it, it, using it. And because just in Jimmy's situation, he has no choice but to take the leap, right? right. To get Garza to talk. And to he him, right? he's scrambling like he's got. He knows it's the guy. He's got to fucking <laughs> yeah. like figure out a way to get him to a location with more backup. Yeah. I put Gene's parents in jail too while I'm putting people in jail. <laughs> I hate her. I hate yeah. her. <laughs> oh, I love that though. It's such a great representation of grief, right? Because she's just she's so gutted that her daughter's yeah. gone. But she's like mentally reaching for any reason any reason it could have not happened or any reason she doesn't have to feel sad about it. Right. Right. It's feeling sad is too hard. So instead I'm just gonna be like, I hate her, it's ungrateful, raised her and she moved off and changed her name. Not sad because I hate her, but like then they get there and lift the cover and you know, yeah, they break down. Yeah, still uh, deserves a little jail time, a couple weeks, no, make I, her see the light. Weeks, you know, yeah. I guess the grief, going but... on, it's like she's gonna 180 so hard. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. This is, yeah. I'm sorry, you feel this way. Anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, straight to jail. Zeke's doing the straight to jail. <laughs> 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 straight away <laughs> i like that new movie mumble segment zeke goes straight to jail <laughs> i'm down i'll make a list of everybody in every movie we watch outstanding and who should go to jail <laughs> it's the peralta bad uh, uh investigation awards go to yeah. i love when they're at the work. doctor's office at the end with niles and they get the secretary to call him out and then they all just like stand up against the wall behind stone's Hi. door <laughs> like they take the half a step well and because they know that the moment he steps out, they're going to get what they need. What are you doing here? Boom. Right. Connection. They know each other. He's still lying. He was lying. <laughs> All of them to jail. That so, dude was going to jump out that window. That was. He only gets one scene, right? To say, oh, I was so madly in love with this girl that I would do anything for her, including set up a burglary right and steal from my own home. And that on paper sounds ludicrous, but he sells it so he well. Does in that one scene, just... they were totally saving him. They're like, we'll we'll put him at the end for that. That is great. Like really, and that's the thing. Like if in a different movie, that little thing would be like, oh, this is out of left field. Where did this come from? But it yeah. felt very natural and very it like so well here. And he, when he makes that leap onto the window, right? That's pretty <laughs> athletic for him. It's it's a surprise. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Stone. Yeah. In a, the, there's a video game from some years back called L.A. Noir, which is a takes place in 1947 or 48 detective video game, and they released after the game was finished a few separate other just one-off cases to solve, one of which is called The Naked City, and you just solved your way through the plot of the film. Um, but in their version, the Doctor does make the jump 
and goes out the window and lands on a car. And as you're walking out, your partner says, glad I didn't park there. And it's just like, every time I watch the Naked City now, I'm like, man, what? where do they who, park? Who, who owes these cops a thank you for saving their car? Right? Which is... See, that's the guy that would have to go to jail in Zeke's segment. Yeah. Too soon. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll let that one slide. That, that was one's a good, good joke. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> now I have to replay L.A. Noir specifically that one. I know, right? Yeah, it's good. Seriously, I think that chase scene, I, I like favorite scene. Before like, the chase, there's yeah. the shot in the mirror when Jimmy's confronting Garza. And except for your elevator shot you mentioned earlier on the construction site, it's the one, you know, we, we follow him and go up to the mirror and Jimmy's in the background reflected and Garza's there. That's like, it's like the signal that it's on now, right? This is now a film. And then, sorry, I just yeah. wanted to start no, that off for you. Yeah, There is a, a marked shift there. And like, it, it, the, the, it, I think the B-roll, A-roll thing is kind of, the thing that's the kind of out of not out of balance but not in the mixture that we're used to because there is like that end sequence is just as captivating as the bullet chase i think like it, it's yeah. it's yeah. got a very similar grammar and the way it's cut and like i love the way that they framed everybody through the slats as he's looking down yeah. the angles oh, of it i don't know like it, it made maybe that's the thing is like the semi-documentary aspect of it which i I hadn't read a blurb of it in a minute. I didn't remember that aspect of it. But like that's where it kind of goes from being this one kind of very matter-of-fact presentation of the procedure. And then we get this really heightened artistic chase. I mean, and maybe that's like the cut to the chase thing. I, that's an earlier... I, I feel like there's a silent movie thing is just to get bums in seats and things. But like the idea of like that chase really being all the more better for what came before it, but also really heightened and really artistic in the way it's framed and the levels and the literal like distance, like difference in the levels of like, he's been, he's been ahead of everybody for such a long time, but he didn't know how far. And then they're really close now. I don't know. Like the way they yeah. threaded that needle. Like, at the oh, end. this and, one guy found me, but I'm just going to hit him over the head and leave. But, uh, oh, there's, there's a car. I'll go this way. Oh, oh, there are five more. Guys. Right. I'll go this way. It all unravels for him before he knows it's unraveling. Yeah. It's great. That chase is so dynamic. I love the peekaboo shot when he's like partway up and there's that hatch and he like reaches to close it, but it doesn't latch. So it reopens. And now there's a cop at the bottom with his gun. <laughs> Like yeah. peekaboo, right? Boom, boom. Classic, just you know, block the screen, open, reveal something, and they trade fire, and that's the wound it hits his arm. It's great. And he has that moment where he's looking it's over the head. edge, and he's like considering jumping, yeah. and then like he gets shot again. Like it's just an interesting like because what was the plan, right? He's running, right? He's getting up high. He's got distance. One. Yeah. He's he's only what? one Kenobi. He has the high ground, but like. <laughs> Anakin needed a blaster, I guess. Yeah. Little other fits are neat, um, just from the time and place, right? There's a lot of money, right? What was his uh what was his root beer, right? Ten cents? Nickel? Five. It was five, five cents. Yeah. Um when Bigel, uh, the the lieutenant is like, Oh, I, you know, raised my wife and kids on fifty bucks a week. Yeah. yeah the, like, the fifty bucks rant was great. Which is about six hundred and fifty dollars today. I looked it up. 
But oh, still, wow. 650 bucks a week is not a whole lot to raise a wife with two kids on. No, not at all. I guess not yeah, unless you're on the wrong side of the tracks, right? Because then if you're poor, everything's cheaper. <laughs> but And the surprise uh, about somebody blowing that in the night, you know, if that's what you're raising your family right, on, like yeah. that does help frame that a little bit. Night. <laughs> Yeah. He also says about the pajamas. He's like, you can't get these for three forty. Yeah, <laughs> that's so specific. I love it. I love that. So I want a T-shirt that says that. I didn't get. This and there's for that great shot of the one, the one officer who's helping them in the store with the pajamas, like pointing at them with the clerk. You know, yeah. And then the hairdressers, where he looks like he's on an alien planet. Oh my god, he's so uncomfortable in there. Yeah. It's so interesting to see that. Yeah. Like, no, it was great. The towards the end when Howard is closing in and he talks to the kids, the girl on the swing has braces on her legs. It's kind of hard to see, but like Forrest Gump style, right? Yeah, yeah. But the extras were not professionals for a lot of for as much as possible. They just used people from the city as extras. So did they just find these kids? And this girl had braces on her legs. Did she have polio? I don't know. I like. It's just. It's such an odd moment that clearly was just not even worth commenting on for the filmmakers but now i sit here and go hey she's she got braces all the way down her legs like what gives what what's happening here right because in so many ways it's it's normal it's a role we're familiar with things either just that haven't changed right people are still people trains buses you know fine things are familiar or things that were different but they're part of the cultural lexicon because they're constantly in film and television and art and then suddenly you get something like that that's just so completely alien. You know, it might as well have been a film from, you know, from Mars in the 1600s. Like, oh, what what the hell is this, <laughs> right? It just, it doesn't, it hasn't survived in any cultural capacity and it's not familiar enough to anything we have now to be recognizable, right? Like, and it was weird to get bits and pieces of both. Like, are there still buses in New York? I don't know. I was just there. I must have seen them early on the streets. They, I guess they run buses, but they used the buses a lot here. And I was sitting there thinking, why is no one on the subway? <laughs> like, because that's like, completely different from my experience. Yeah. The dude delivering milk has a horse-drawn carriage, too. Yeah. Like, I thought that was right. really interesting, too. The fact that it's it's still close it's enough 40s, to horsepower. You know, He's like, yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, why not? Like, <laughs> I, right. it's just. We just want to blocks of ice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the blocks of ice. Can you imagine how hot it must have been in New York City and before air conditioning? That's what. Now I'm thinking about do the right thing in terms of like the yeah. heat in New yeah. York at that time with this amount of industrialization. You know, like what's. There's no OSHA. You know, like what's in the air too is also interesting to think about, and like how clear the shots are in this of the sky and stuff. Like dudes hanging off a scaffolding. Like there's the dudes cleaning the windows too, right? Like going up the. I like the little Joseph P. McGillicuddy bit, the name. Yeah. Uses Ellie Confidential does a similar thing with Rolo Tomasi, right? With um, but I just I love that, right? It's a great character moment and a great like thought exercise almost that just completely changes the way they approach the case where they're like oh this doesn't i don't know we got closed doors and stuff that doesn't make sense it's like well what if there's just another person there that we just haven't accounted for boom and it just totally breaks everything open and it's another great little moment between the experienced detective who's like well, let's take a look at this from another angle and the other detective who's just like 
who the hell is J.P. McGillicuddy? Right? Like, what's going on? I love that he started writing it on the chalkboard, and it was such a long thing that it looked yeah. like he started to have to make the letter smaller. We've all yeah. been there. But yeah, oh, yeah, the J and the P were just big as shit. And then he got to the McGillicuddy, <laughs> got to the cuddy part of that, and was like, all right, let's yeah. tone this down. We'll drop the font a couple it's notches. It's so human. Yeah. You know, like well, it was water. also interesting to see like a blackboard, right? We always yeah. see whiteboards and guys yeah, talk or like screens and stuff. But like the idea of like literally, they carted it in. It's not on the walls. <laughs> they had that yeah. like in the old school rooms. Mm -hmm. He throws the chalk like to make a point. Also, like the handwritten names on there all have that ability. Like they kind of all taper off in a similar way, where they're like, ah, yeah. it was really interesting. Like the 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 tactile. And it's so human and real. Like another a modern film might have redone the shot. To be like, no, 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 write the letters even, make it look good. But he just wrote the name, and they went, great, cut, next scene, right, done. Um, and similarly, you mentioned the crime scene stuff. There's a, a bit with a really excellent sketch of the apartment, like a, oh, like yeah. a interior design or like the Sims or what have you view of like top down with the doors. And it's all by hand, and it's flawless because they can't. I mean, I guess they still took pictures, right? But you can, you're not going to computer generate this, this like beautiful image in your drafting software. So if you want that whole room thing, you have to either cut the building off and lift it up and take a picture, or you have to sketch. It was great. I like that also where like they had moved the, the woman who found her moved the body out of the tub. And then he was yeah. like, where were the, it's like, I found pills under the bed. Where are the pills? Well, I left them under the bed. Oh, I heard it was moving day. I'm Good. glad you didn't get yeah. the memo. Thank like, you. I love that. It was such <laughs> that a little great... snark, right? Yeah. And then when the, the detective, the, the forensic guy is brushing down the lamp or whatever, like, what are you doing to the furniture? And he just gives her this glare, like, investigate it. <laughs> like, that's it. End of conversation. Mind your own. Right? <laughs> uh, that was something about the, the, the lead detect, like the older detective with what was it Doolin, lieutenant Doolin, muldoon Doolin, yeah muldoon like i he had the, that was the other thing that affability to him and kind of like a flexibility and he was he was always kind of making a joke even though this is like really awful stuff and but like, it wasn't like a bet in poor taste way he didn't seem jaded i don't know it was like an interesting he's just like this is the way i make my living in murder so i've got to figure out some way like i don't i don't know like he he's he seemed affable to a fault, you know, like I thought that was really endearing and interesting. I liked his line. I don't know. I've never had a fiance involved in a murder investigation. Before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a zinger. And at the beginning of that, he's talking to Niles. Have you ever heard of a girl named, uh, and he like makes this shot of leaning forward to his papers. Dexter? Like, as if he doesn't know. The only yeah. name they have in their entire murder case right now, the victim, right? <laughs> but he does that, you know, to, to get out of Niles, right? Like, oh, oh, sure, we were familiar. You know, yeah. So he wants to see his reaction. It's great. I keep thinking of Columbo. Like, it's a very sim similar yeah. detective. Mm. Uh, He's Just kind of one more shorter. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, there's, there's... And that's the thing. I, I was... I started watching Columbo because I was wanting to watch Telly Savalas and Kojak. So I got those two mixed up because <laughs> Kojak is much more like brutal. And then I was watching it, saw like Spielberg directed some of these episodes of like early episodes of Columbo or like Spielberg. Yeah. But it's just interesting to see that prototype. I mean, the, the Irish cop is like a thing, right? That's been for yeah. a long time. 
as kind of the yeah. stereotypical character. And he had the big Irish accent, but like he does, he didn't have any of the like other negative tropey things. He just happened no. to have the accent, which yeah. I thought was also like a cool, like, I don't know, not to see it yeah. over. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that's a, hasn't been overdone in a long time or to, like that. I don't know. The Irish stereotype. Until is 40s, kind of less, I don't really know when yeah. Irish cops started to become less commonplace. So right. maybe it makes sense that he's the old hand at this point, right? They never have in Boston. <laughs> Should we do favorite scenes? I think mine was the, the you mentioned it earlier when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Halloran, the, the young the young cop. Yeah, like when he goes home. Yeah. Like I think, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was just like this. It was, yeah, it was, it was like a breath of fresh air kind of thing, and it like added this aspect, of, like this human aspect to him. <clears throat> I also thought it was interesting. So like when he goes home and his wife, like the outfit his wife was wearing, like even I was like clutching my pearls. Like I was so in that world that Whoa. what she was wearing was like, oh my dear, like yeah. goodness, like you know. And I was like, oh, you know, some someone's for dinner, you know, like. <laughs> like but what she's wearing is just like ultra modern uh modest by today's standards but the fact yeah. that like you know the way we're seeing everyone dressed throughout the films then by contrast to see her dress like that and you know and they're they're kind of you know they were also like a cute couple you know and i think yeah like you were saying that it wasn't um you know him not wanting to beat his kids was a very modern take on that like normally you know yeah, like yes you know I, th- I feel like it was. I don't know. Maybe my understanding yeah. of the time period is wrong, but yeah. I also right. thought it yeah. was like a really interesting, like the discussion of the gender roles was actually pretty enlightened and modern. It's like, who says that we have to hit the kid? It's always the dad. Yeah. Like, who who is telling you that? Why are we hitting him? Like, it's, I thought that was an interesting thing, too. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a good back and forth. Yeah. Sorry, please, Tim. I cut you off there. Well, well just like, you know, so like, happy. I... My my dad used to watch a lot of Leave It to Beaver, and so much of that was so cringy because of how old fashioned it was. And I, you know, kind of seeing this, so that's that's kind of my main frame of reference. But so to see this is where they're just like, I don't know, acting like this playful, nor- normal kind of uh, normal quote unquote couple, as opposed to this sort of like, um, although it did have the elements, right? That the 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 dad comes home. Oh, dinner is going to be ready. He sits down to read the paper. Yeah. And I feel like we've seen those tropes tons of times in that whole, like, you know, the man's at work all day and the woman's making dinner, but like so much of it was like, was like spun on its head, you know, and like, and, and, and a very different, you know, like how, you know, him kind of using the newspaper almost to hide from like the, the fact of like wanting, you know, her wanting to talk to him. (laughs) You know, yeah. Like it wasn't like, Oh, I gotta, I'm an important man. I'm going to read the newspaper and what's been happening in the world. Well, you know, it's like, you know, it was almost like a prop, you know, like, Oh, I've got to read the newspaper, you know? Yeah. You know, you, you really nailed something for me, Tim. It's like context, not context, but I don't know. I, the, the details, the parts that fill in the space. Right, because like you said, there are tropes here. On the other hand, their conversation is so refreshing. Mm-hmm. And like she's like, oh, you should discipline him. And he's like, oh, I'm going to hide behind the paper. It's like, well, why don't you do it? Uh, uh, because it's a man's job, right? Like, it's such a between the two of them of like, well, neither of us wants to discipline our child. I, you know, there are so many things that are or, or became associated with negativity, but there's so much more about the relationship and the stuff that's big and symbolic. I, you put me in mind of a different work I read 
falling ago. And the, the upshot is there's this character and she meets a role model of hers, an older woman who was this big feminist icon and, and liberator, right? About we don't need to be stuck in these gender roles. And she talks to her and eventually our character professes guilt because actually she would love to just be a housewife. She's like, I want to make this this castle and I want it to be safe and loving for my family and this to be my domain that I can like build and provide with. And she's like, but I feel like me wanting that goes against everything you fought for. And the, the older character says to her, the role itself isn't the problem. It's as long if you're choosing it, right. then nothing you choose is wrong, right? Yeah, and it's sort of, I, again, I mean, not that she might have had the choice in the 40s, right? I'm not trying to put that out there, right? But just that, like you just said, there's there are parts of this that are old-fashioned, but there are also parts that are old-fashioned, but not immediately like, oh, God, why did we do that? They're just they're just old, if that makes sense, right? And then, again, it's another thing that's not, there's no enhancers, right? Like, it's not yeah. leaned into, like, that family dynamic or how he is at home with the kid it's it's just as matter of fact as every if every shot of the city that we've gotten you know like yeah. every grubby kid eating candy or whatever you know like it's just as it's not given any more weight and it's yeah are we still throwing out a couple of favorite scenes yeah, uh, yeah um i like the early on when the drunk murderer was getting murdered by the other murderer uh and they had that obscured by the like the peer i don't know the peer tie down situation yeah. and that was really cool just a nice just a cool shot yeah i always love shots like that where it's like oh like if i was ever going to do like a small budget film like we could do that we could have a scene of someone getting murdered with no special effects or just deliberately obscuring the thing you don't have to worry about this that or the other having a stunt person it's just like yeah just oh I'm going to hit this instead and you assume you know like like yeah like it, it's a it's it's a, a special effect you know but yeah and I think with the murder itself you know drowning her in the tub I think that was a little more maybe gruesome or violent than I was expecting yeah. from a 1940s movie um but then this you know it was a nice way to cover up and show yeah we're not going to show a guy getting bludgeoned or something um and just a cool shot yeah, there's a great cut there. They, you know, they they're pretty sure she's dead, but the one guy's like, "We got to make it look like an accident." So they go to fill the tub, and you cut. It's like a match cut almost from the faucet of the tub to mm. the street sweeper, you know, hose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if this i I don't know if this one came up earlier when we were talking about the view down through the slats, but it's when Halloran's chasing Garza out of the apartment down the staircase and it's yeah. looking down the staircase um oh, just yeah. another cool shot where you can kind of see maybe three or four floors down Garza is getting out the door and Halloran's kind of peeking down at him and you can see kind of every level through i thought that one was really cool frame too it was a good fire escape chase too i thought that was really because again yeah. the pacing of it it felt like it wasn't jumped cut it was just like that's how difficult it is to get down the and also like hollering being that tall guy getting down like the, the down actual logistic yeah. logistics of it and like the guy being an acrobat you know with that him being that fast also i really like that opening shot too like that the framing of that sometimes i get irritated with censorship because it's for its own sake but sometimes censorship leads it 
to really interesting artistic or funny choices like the movie mumble that that are bleep <laughs> yeah it's nice it's good stuff that uh, seriously that the king kong sequence of him like climbing mm-hmm. the thing was really dynamic that's become the the poster basically like it's what's on the front of my dvd and it's what's on the mm-hmm. thumbnail on hbo is him right. you know on the ladder like one arm through leaned against it wounded arm it's silhouetted against the sky that's like that's the shot yeah. right the for the film what about you joel favorite scenes yeah it's hard to beat that last one um i did like the the <laughs> i liked the narrator changing voices as he was doing the like ever seen a guy who looks like this i just for <laughs> yeah. some reason the first one kind of hit me in the same tone as everything else like and then he feigned like a feminine voice like and it was just it was really funny and like it i i don't know like i liked the idea i had kind of it was interesting to kind of have the sing song and here's the the executive producer who's the narrator it continues to be the narrator through the whole thing and then has it do like these little like him doing voices was fun over it and just like an intro like they there's no really voice acting at this point i don't know if there is in the same organized way but just an interesting like okay we got a bunch of b-roll we got somebody to talk over it we're gonna put the (laughs) this was your project jimmy let's get you out there or something like i i liked that um yeah i the one maybe the one moment that falls short is when they bring the guy in to talk to niles and he punches him and they're starting to unravel the burglary stuff because the punch doesn't really connect yeah Yeah, you get the feeling that that's the scene they had to redo and eventually give up on (laughs) with the Mm -hmm. punch um but then total opposite of that i really love when they take niles to stoneman's office and just bust the whole thing wide open because it's just great i i love when the whole plot reveals itself and even then right up until the last section of conversation you don't really know this has anything to do with the murder because niles wasn't there he has four witnesses he was in the club you know and even if stoneman is henderson there's no sign he was there at the time. He was elsewhere doing work. So they're talking about this burglary they had going. And then they start talking about the two guys who did the breaking in and how they're strong and how they wanted a bigger cut. And then right there at the end, it comes together. Oh, that's how this happened. That's how they knew to go after her. That's why nothing was taken. That's why it was staged to look like an accident. But even right up until that moment, you can be sitting there going like, well, great. I'm glad we've solved you know, mystery number eight that we uncovered by turning rocks over. <laughs> but who the hell killed Gene? De- oh, oh, they, okay, there you go. <laughs> right, like I, I love it. It's just so satisfying, you know, in a mental way. You know, plot there is a way. there's like a nine hour cut of this film where it's just Niles continuing to lie, to lie. and them not finding any information, and like yeah. that he gets away with it because he just continues to spin out. <laughs> That's um, something we don't really see, like compulsive liar as a thing in movies is not really a trope anymore which i don't know if it's a, a thing in reality but like it was just really interesting like i didn't even connect that it's like why is this dude just like lying like just come to jesus or shut up like why do you keep bringing thing new sh- no into the equation how many times <laughs> they prove it for like yeah we were holding all the evidence of the truth before we even asked you the question, moron. Like, they do that to him like six or seven times and he just never learns. Oh, 
He's never had to think this many steps ahead. <laughs> yeah. He's in over his head, like they said, right? Oh, he's, yeah. just, he's confused out of his depth. And you know, it's his face at the end, but really, like sitting in the jail cell, and they say she won't be forgotten entirely, right? There's something about his face that just makes you wonder if maybe he really is thinking about her instead of about his sorry ass in jail. <laughs> you know, because he just the actor just pulls it off again just stellar acting from almost everybody well thank you gentlemen does that mean we're moving on to joel's favorite segment i think it's about that time it's right. seven forty-two oregon time and now it's time for my favorite segment it is it is time for another situational movie recommendation scott you usually bring one i don't no, that I have one specific. Do you you got one for us? Yeah, it's a little, you know, uncomfortable to get to the the thing I want to ask. I guess, but those are my favorite. Here I we said go. <laughs> that I like this because it's not your typical genre film, and it's not just oh hey, it's an old version of something we still make. But it's this weird sort of, you know, it was made at the height of noir, right? Lots of famous noirs came before and came after. But it's kind of not. But it's a police procedural. But it's kind of not. But it's this fake documentary. But it's kind of not. But then in it, you see the foundational building blocks, the skeleton of so much of what came after. Do you have a film like that? That sort of isn't a specific genre or thing. But for you, is this sort of, I don't know, this, this jumping off point, right? This not quite prototype right just if i said to you hey you should watch the naked city because it's a good mystery i might instead say to you hey you should watch the naked city because you'll see immediately how influential it was but not in this really artsy pretentious influential way right does that make sense it's just here are the tools we put them together off you go right kind of the inverse of Indiana Jones because those early Indiana Jones films Lucas and Spielberg came together and said let's just do it quick and dirty like they used to and not get crazy blockbuster complicated with it. And they did and it paid off, but they were able to do that because of what came before, right? So what's your what's your genesis I guess? Your film you point people back to to go here are all these elements I like to talk about and here's one of the earliest places you can see them coming together. I don't care if it's genre one. or writing style or or color or what. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. You know. Mm. If you just want to say, oh yeah, sci-fi uses all these cool things and the you know, the tropes first happened in this weird movie from nineteen fifty eight. Like I, great, right? But but what is it? I love this question. Theses could be written on this question. And I don't really my answer is this. I can't answer my own question, I guess, because we just watched it. So sorry if that's <laughs> anticlimactic. <laughs> The one that comes to mind, like, in ter- like, Monty Python's Holy Grail, in terms of like period comedy, kind of defined a genre, reinvented it with Life of Brian, but like nobody, I don't even know that they made any more of that. Like, people have referenced and like used Python esque stuff, but like Holy Grail as that's the one i get i i guess i kind of dismissed it as a boring answer in my head because i just have watched it so much it's so ubiquitous but like i think holy grail 
is so strange and didn't really spur a genre like people did stuff like that and like have done period comedies but nothing went that hard and it was also like it has the elements of the the flying circus show that they did in terms of the sketch format and also like there, there i guess the, there's pieces of it like a nutty professor the idea of some a central comedic character playing other characters could to make out the chorus of it whereas like i don't know like they all play the knights and they play everything else i i i think Pyth like holy grail is is the one yeah you're helping me maybe refine my question if it helps tim and zeke that i mean sure the naked city continued or had a tv series and i guess you could say something like dragnet or law and order is the inheritor right but on the other hand the naked city didn't really continue instead each of its pieces kind of just broke off and got turned into their own thing in other places does that help maybe even though it took those pieces from other places and brought them together then they broke apart again right like it's not I'm not sitting here going oh yeah they were the first people to totally do the thing <laughs> like it just feels like a nexus a touchstone i guess and i don't, I don't know if this completely answers the question or if i'm still kind of misinterpreting it but I mean, and it's also going to be uh, the obvious answer, but um, with a better explanation. Like for me, I think The Matrix sure. gave me it was it was probably one of the first films because like I, I was always into movies as a kid, but a lot of the movies I watched they were like purely entertainment. And and then there's I also have a retroactive answer that I'll get to in a minute, but. But like the Matrix was the first film that I saw that I think was like, oh, like there's there's other layers to this. There's other assets like, you know, as much as even, you know, the Wachowski said, oh, it's Kung Fu versus robots, you know, like there was more to it than that. And, you know, like like to me, like every action movie I watched before that was like, yeah, it's a bunch of fighting and explosions. And it wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything to dig deeper into beyond what you were watching. And so with the matrix it was kind of twofold it, like it, it i think it made me aware even before i was aware that this was of you know and, and why I, I i'm still so into it that 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 there was like metaphor to films like i think even at this point i wasn't like you know as aware that metaphor was as important to me but the fact that i realized like oh like the stuff in this film like represents other stuff and you can kind of draw these parallels and then so the retroactive answer would would be star wars you know that like oh like star wars it wasn't just like okay laser swords and this and this and that it's like oh like this you know the the empire was you know metaphor for nazis and you know and you have like this this religious thing you know and um so kind of like being able to watch something and see that it's not just like on the surface this is what this is but then also the other layer is that it made me, I think, more aware that, um, you know, the whole the whole filmmaking process and sort of that it's um, it's not just sort of, you know, and, and, and again, like a lot of the movies I watched as a kid were just kind of like fun and probably a lot of comedies, you know, is mostly what I watched. So it's like it's more about telling jokes along the way and you kind of have this this story that you're telling, but it's probably pretty simple to get to the end of it you know there's not a lot of conflict there's not a lot of complexity to it um 
but th those were kind of the things that really, you know, I mean, you know, like if, if you look at even Star Wars, you know, there's, oh, it's it's good versus evil. You know, you could like reduce it to that. And it's like, that's a simple concept. But, you know, and, and as a kid, you don't see all the 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 political underpinnings of what's happening in Star Wars and and why they're happening and what's happening in between the films. You know, like as a kid, I didn't pay attention to that. I didn't really see, you know all of that going on it was just like oh a cool thing with lightsabers and fighting and lasers and you know the good guys and bad guys um so yeah so i feel like like the matrix first but then also realizing oh yeah it was there all along with star wars like you know matrix was the, the first film to do it but it was the first film that made me realize like there's there's more going on behind the scenes with these films and and that yeah even the physical production of the film is kind of more um, of, of an art form um, rather than just like, you know, hey, let's tell a silly story and get some laughs or whatever. Um, you know, and, and, you know, oddly enough, too, I feel like The Matrix, one of one of the things with The Matrix is that it did borrow from so much stuff and bring in, you know, like, I mean, so much so that some people even consider that it, you know, it, it stole a bunch from anime, you know, like a lot of the Ghost in the Shell stuff, you know, is just like directly ripped off from them. Um, so, yeah, so like with Star Wars, you could bring in the question, like, was it theft or was it influence, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but but yeah, so so. Yeah, like it's a weird roundabout way, but I think it definitely informed the way that I viewed films after that point. You know, like when I watch films like like Pi, you know, after I graduated, like Pi and, and Memento and stuff like that, where you're really noticing the the filmmakers. It's it, it's probably like a lot of what we've talked about, you know, uh with comic books, where when I was a kid, I liked comic book characters. You know, it was more, I guess, more of a visual thing, what they look like. But then as as I got older, I was more interested in the writers and the stories they were telling. So this way too, with like, you know, watching movies as a kid, I was much more into you know, probably the actors, you know, that I knew, like, you know, um, you know, like Back to the Future and Teen Wolf, I liked Michael J. Fox as a kid, you know, so those that's kind of what drew me to those movies. Whereas this was definitely a point where I was noticing the filmmakers and how the filmmakers put films together and how they tell the stories and how they weave metaphor into their stuff. Um, and I don't know that I was aware of that before The Matrix. Um, and I think I, I mean, I think yeah, I don't think I don't think Fight Club really introduced me to that. Fight Club, I feel like works on its own like uh, level. I mean, you can dig into it, but I think because it's so it's so visceral, I feel like you know, even though there is tons of metaphor in there, you know, you don't you don't really need it. It's pretty upfront about like yeah, like capitalism, materialism is <laughs> stupid, and you know, getting back to this more like primal sense of like you know, uh, you know, being being a human, you know, and um bunch of other stuff so again it, it is something where but it didn't it i think it didn't make me as aware because i've seen the two around the same time it didn't make me as aware of the metaphor and the fact that i could dig into it deeper um yeah even though it's there but yeah so that's i don't know if, i don't know if that kind I of like answers it. the question no i do i like it like you that you saw the underlying pieces and how yeah. they've been arranged right mm -hmm. no i like that a lot thank you zeke have we given you enough time? You don't yeah, quite look yeah. ready. Okay. Cool. Oh, I feel I feel ready. Um, <laughs> and I'm gonna I I'm I'm becoming Tim in the sense where I'm just gonna hammer the same answer for a lot of different things because it does fit a lot of different things. But um, 
Tim's Matrix is my scream because I feel like that was the genesis for a new wave of horror movies, right? It took oh, a lot yeah. of things that other horror movies did. And then it obviously was very self-referential and self-aware of those tropes um, to the point that characters in the movie were aware of them and reacting to them rather than, you know, oh, here's a character in a scary situation that's never seen a horror movie before acting like an idiot. Scream made it so people in horror movies can kind of be aware of their surroundings and use that to their advantage. Um, it shifted, I think, how we think about horror movies, right? I think it, because it was so self-referential uh, and self-aware of those tropes, it made it so the audience could grasp those, right? Like a fi Final Girl existed before Scream, but Scream kind of maybe even perfected that. And That's I just think there answer. are. I love that one. Thanks. Yeah, and I feel like there are a lot of movies since that are are uh, that pay homage to Scream, which paid homage to the movies before it. I mean, you know, I think Get Out. Right, you've got the protagonist kind of phoning a friend and saying, "Hey, this feels off. I, you know, am I going into a horror situation? And you know, how do I get out of this?" And that ultimately, you know, helps him in the end. Um, Cabin in the Woods is very Scream like in the sense where it's taking all of the horror tropes, putting people through them, um, and just hitting every kind of genre, every piece of the genre on the way too. Um, so yeah, I feel like similar to how you were talking about Naked City, where there were things before that went into this and then that inspired things that came after it. I think that's what stood out to me was Scream. So you got me thinking uh, Silence of the Lambs in, mm, in the, mm -hmm. a similar like, there had been movies about Siller. I don't know, like that in terms of like not being quite a genre, I always talk about it as a thriller. That's the closest I can ever describe it as. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really, I, when I feel like I have that discussion every time it comes up, is like people, it's not, it crossed over, I guess. But it's, it's, it's an interesting genre mystery, but it has the specific enhancements that it has. I like that idea of like film enhancements of like everything can be, the hero's journey or like leaves town or comes to town thing but like you just add enhancements on it and that's what makes them interesting but like the the um i don't know the tone of that movie the way it unfolds the charismatic nature and strange nature of the villains in it is very atmospheric and kind of its own thing but it borrows from all these other genres and kind of inspired this kind of mystique around this like i don't know consulting villain type thing it just turned it on its side a little bit yeah that was good y'all had really good answers i like that a lot and all for different reasons too Ooh, that was really neat <laughs> that turned out better than i thought it would since i was like i don't know how i'm gonna frame this question but uh, we'll see <laughs> so thank you guys thank you very much for sure and thank yeah. you for watching the naked city with me yeah, it's a bit of a, I know it's kind of, it's an odd movie, even for being old, you know, it's just doesn't quite fit into any boxes. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you all watching and listeners, of course, I appreciate you watching along with us. But now it is time to announce what we're watching next month. And for that, Tim will be our film selector. All right. So this was kind of a, a spontaneous pick. I actually had another pick in mind. 
Um, and then I watched this the other day and I was like, no, we kind of want to do this. So it's uh, Don't Look Up. Uh, it's on oh, Netflix okay. with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's been... a very new movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I wanted to mention this now because I'll forget next time. But, but Scott, how you were mentioning like how you have the pile of movies in the middle that you may or may not get to. You were saying earlier that yeah. you want to watch. This was one of those. But because I, and I, you know, I'm sure many of you can guess, like the the Jennifer Lawrence on Hot Ones, which I, I saw the whole episode, but also the meme that came out of that is the what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, you know, in in that episode, they talk about don't look up, and I was just like, oh, so it just kind of like brought you know, so so Sean Evans, your show is working, you know, the people coming on your show, <laughs> it's 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 connecting and making me say, oh, I need to watch that movie with Jennifer Lawrence that they talked about on that episode. Um, and I had wanted to watch it for a while, but then I went, you know, I finally did watch it. it. It bumped it up to the front of my mind, you know, and said, okay, I'm watching it now. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I was kind of assuming it was going to be kind of like a passing thing, like, okay, that was good. Move on, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's definitely some stuff to talk about in it. So I think, um, yeah. Oh, another thing I, I do want to say is that you do have to watch through all the credits because there are like two post credit scenes. Okay. And one of them is sort of that mid credits, you know, where they show the sure. fancy stylized credits. Then there's a scene, and then the credits roll. But then there's another scene after that. So. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. So it's don't look up. It's not Moonfall that came out like the same week or whatever. No. Right. That, I don't know what that. Means. I Isn't there like... another like Moon Falls to the Earth? One? Well, I guess we won't get it mixed up if we don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so it's yes, yeah, the don't look up one with Jennifer yeah. Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio and yeah. a bunch of other people. You know, it's got one of those star-studded cast kind of things. And all uh, right, sounds great. So everybody, look up as much as possible until you see the movie, because then you won't be allowed to anymore. Right. So thanks, Tim. Jeez, you ruined my neck. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me on this adventure, friends, listeners. Until next time, good night. You don't get these for 340. Bye. Insert newspaper headline here. There are 8 million podcasts on the World Wide Web. This has been one of them. Movie Mumble comes to you from NerdsThatGeek.com. Visit NerdsThatGeek.com for all things Movie Mumble. Movie Mumble is hosted by Scott Murray, Joel Lewis, Tim Gerard, and Zeke Perez. The Movie Mumble theme song and all its variations were composed by Tim Gerard. The situational recommendation theme was composed by Joel Lewis, Scott Murray, and Tim Gerard, reluctantly. This episode of the Movie Mumble podcast was edited by Joel Lewis.